so I just wanted, I want to spend, and I've really got about 30 minutes, so buckle up, and um, I want to change, we're going to change the mood a little bit, I don't feel like I want to be like the, the downer on the whole thing, but um, this, this guy here, some people have teddy bears, um, I have a bust of a, of a guy, um, who knows who this is? No one knows who this is, okay, this, this is a guy called um, Charles Spurgeon, and uh, he was uh, a pastor of a church. In fact, he was, he was known as the Prince of Preachers. At the age of 19, he led the largest church in London and was an incredible preacher. Like thousands of people came to know Jesus through this guy's life and ministry. He led a church called the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Um, and the Metropolitan Tabernacle was like this huge church in the center of London. And it was a huge church in the center of London at a time when the whole of London was changing. So uh, people were moving out of farms, moving out of the country and coming into London. And London was absolutely full of people who had nothing, who were poor, of, of widows and orphans. And, uh, and the, the Metropolitan Tabernacle had a choice to make. And they, they made a choice. They made a choice that was different from many of the other successful churches in London. Many of the other successful churches moved out of London to the suburbs, moved out of the centre to the suburbs because they didn't want to have to deal with some of the mess. The Metropolitan Tabernacle had to decide, are we going to be a church that is kind of removed from the city or even against what's going on in the city or are we going to be a church for the city? Are we going to be a church for the city? We have this vision that says we're supposed to love Edinburgh, be family and follow Jesus. About eight years ago, we, I reckon we probably had the similar kind of decision to make. We started to outgrow buildings and we had this opportunity to buy this space. But there was a, there was a moment when we started talking about, do we, do we do a church on the edge of Edinburgh? Do we do, you know, the kind of place you have to drive to, you know, in, a, in an industrial park? And is that what we're supposed to do? Or are we a church that is going to be for the city? Are we going to be a church that loves the city? The Metropolitan Tabernacle in the 1850s loved London. They were family and they followed Jesus. And I think the call for this church, for this family, is to love Edinburgh really well. To be family really well. And to follow Jesus as the most important thing. Um, in the, econ the interesting thing is this. In the economy of God, the city is really important. In the economy of God, the city is more important than you think. When God moves in power on his early church, the, the smallest form of mission agency is the city. When the Spirit comes, you will go to Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's the city that is the place that we should have a vision for. And so we're not supposed to have a vision just for our church. In fact, if we just have a vision for this church... We, we probably are not thinking big enough. We're supposed to have a vision for Jerusalem, for, for Edinburgh, for, for the fact that Edinburgh should prosper, should be blessed. Most churches, many churches, lots of churches, have a kind of slightly deficient vision and understanding and posture towards a city. Some churches are just apathetic. They, they just, you know, we, we are here to get on with what we get on with and the city can just do its own thing. Other churches are just angry 
You know, we're against the city. The city is worldly. We don't care about the city. We're not that interested. In fact, we'll write letters or we'll do marches and it's all against people. But lots and lots of churches are just anonymous. We just like the city. We do everything the same. Uh, we're relevant. We're relevant. We just look like everybody else. In fact, there's, there's, there's no differentiation between who we are and who, who everybody else is. And they fail to understand that relevance is no good unless there's a radical holy difference. So if we're not supposed to be apathetic and we're not supposed to be angry and we're not supposed to be anonymous, what is the posture that we're supposed to have towards Edinburgh? What's the posture that you're supposed to have towards your community? towards the people that you live amongst. What, what, what are we supposed to do? When we say we're loving Edinburgh, what does that look like? It's an easy thing to say, but what, is it, what does it look like? What, what if we're supposed to love the city as Jesus loves the city? Love the city in the way that God loves the city. I'd love it, I, I know we haven't got a lot of time, but I'd love it if you have your phone on you or, or I don't know if you carry a Bible with you, but if you would uh, turn to the book of Jeremiah and chapter 29. I just want to spend five minutes here because I, I want to I talk through what I think is a biblical posture towards a city that God has sent us to. Jeremiah chapter 29 is really famous. It's one of those um, Bible verses that people will quote at you all the time. It's the, it's the for, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and give you a future, says, says the Lord. But, but before that moment, there is this, um, there is this whole um, narrative about how we are supposed to live within the city. God's people have found themselves in exile. Generation after generation of them had tried to govern themselves, do their own thing. And God again and again and again has sent prophets to say, come on, turn back to me. This is not good. It's not going to end well for you. And, and they'd end up in a, in, 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 a, in, a, in a foreign city, in a place which was anti the God that they served by the rivers of Babylon. And Babylon was a full-on evil empire. And God says, this is how I want you to posture yourself in a city that doesn't acknowledge me. Which is really relevant, isn't it? Because 95% of Edinburgh doesn't love Jesus, which makes about 470,000 people who don't know God. That's 470,000 people who don't know Jesus well. I want, this is how you're supposed to posture yourself when you're in that kind of environment. Let's read this, verse 4 of Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. To those who, who I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Settle down, build houses. In other words, put down roots. The, the Hebrew word that's used here is the word yasab. And it can mean either a lengthy tenure or a temporary visit. But it's all about the posture of your heart. 
In other words, stop looking for the future. Stop living for something that's out there somewhere and start living where you are right now. Live well in the city that you've been called to. Settle down, build houses, plant gardens. I'm not sure what that's about. (laughs) Maybe it's about just enjoying life. Stop being so intense. Get over your serious-itis stuff. Plant gardens, have barbecues, play golf, eat hagen dust. In other words, if this becomes, if this, if this thing here just all becomes strive and drive and just to survive stuff, you know, be holy, you know, <clears throat> then, then it's not really the kingdom of God. There's something about enjoying life. There's something about caring for the environment because God is green. There's something about the speed of our lives. Slow down. There's something about this thing here, marry, have sons and daughters. Basically, we're being told to become part of the fabric of society. Don't, don't hide away, don't isolate yourself, don't stick your head in the sand, pretend it's not happening. Become part of that society. Why? Because the way in which you are supposed to do relationships, the way in which you and I are supposed to do marriage, the way in which you and I are supposed to do parenting, the way in which you and I are supposed to handle our money and do business is honors God and it's very different and it has a prophetic message to a generation that are desperately lost. The way in which we do intergenerational is different and highly prophetic. And we don't always get it right, but isn't, isn't this great? Three of you think it's great? I, I, I think, Neil, can you come and lead this? <laughs> Honestly, just, just this, this is brilliant because this is prophetic. This is the kingdom of God. Plant gardens. Incre- I love this. Increase in influence. This is really important because, because if you know anything about the history of, of, of Babylon, they had a really cool strategy for, for taking over the culture of a foreign country. They would, they would take the, um, the intelligent and the smart leaders and they would bring them into their own society and they would give them amazing jobs and they'd put them in great places to live. And it was really smart because what happened within two generations, no one was saying, I'm an Israelite. <laughs> they were all saying, oh, I'm Babylonian. You know, I've got a great job, I live in a great place. They've lost their identity and lost, they've lost their culture. And God says, I don't want you to decrease in your influence. I want you to move into the city. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to have families. I want you to love the neighborhood. But I want you to increase in your influence. You can't just blend. You have to be different. You have to live the kingdom of God. Take significant roles in politics, in teaching, in business. Invade the city of God with the kingdom of God. Don't get ordained just because you love Jesus. Be an amazing banker and an incredible artist and, 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 and a, a wonderful lawyer and an and incredible video games designer or whatever it is God has called you to be. Be an amazing actuary. Be an innovative, creative actuary. Be, be, I'm sure that one exists. Be a musician, but be a Jesus, a kingdom, a musician. Make a positive contribution, in other words. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. In other words, God says, I want you to love this city. And I want you to live for the universal flourishing of this city. I love that word. That word is the word shalom. And actually, one of the interesting things that will become more interesting later is, is it, is it means complete health, complete wholeness. 
I want you to live for the complete wholeness of the city that I call you to. Because look at verse 7. As it goes for the city, so it goes for you. And as it goes for you, so it goes for the city. You can't pretend. You can't hide and stick your head in the sand and hide within the walls of church and just live all your life out here. You have to live well in the city that I've called you to. And, and, and I know that was very quick, but, but actually the reality is this. If we're going to start articulating a vision to follow Jesus, to be family, and to love Edinburgh, we need to get what this means. Because loving Edinburgh doesn't mean hiding here and shouting at people, or even doing little raids into communities so that we might snatch them out of the place that they're living and they're dwelling. Loving Edinburgh means dwelling well with the gifts that God has given to us, with the provocations of our heart and the dreams that he's given to us. And living for the prosperity of the city. So how do we do this? I mean, I, I, the way in which I would draw the, um, the threefold statement that we have as a, as a vision is this. We're called to follow Jesus. We do that as family. But what people see is we love Edinburgh. So this is the thing. We're supposed to follow Jesus. That's the thing. We're supposed to be like Jesus. That's the thing. He is the heart of it all. But we do that as family. We're supposed to do it together. I can't do it alone. I don't don't shine with the light of God if I do it on my own. We have to do it together. But what everyone in Edinburgh around us is going to see is how we love the city by being like Jesus together in the cities. That's the crucial thing that people are going to see. What does it look like for us as a people of God to love like Jesus the city that he's called us to? So we haven't got got less time than I, I thought, so I'm going to be quick here. Three things I want us to think about here. But the first thing is we want to make it simple to be part of this family. We don't want to make it complicated. We, you're not going to have to have some kind of weird handshake to be part of this family or, or to pass a whole bunch of tests. Or, 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 or We want you to be part of this family and we want you to feel part of this family, which means that we've got a job to do in helping that happen. We know that. So we're working really hard on a, on a number of things. We're working really hard on communication. We're always going to get it wrong as far as communication is concerned. We're going to try and get it less wrong. Because any organization this size and this diverse is not going to get it 100% right. But we're going to try and communicate as well as we can through email, through notice sheets that we do. The things that, you, that we all need to know so that we're in the know. We're trying really hard to, to make the communities that we have more open. And make it as easy as possible for everyone in this com- community to be part of a community. Because we realize that you're never going to know this. It's, you're never going to do life here. But you can do life here, and you can do life with these people, and you can know these people. So, so you know, no community is perfect, apart from the guys that went up at the top and did the dancing thing. I mean, you're great, amazing. Um, no community is perfect, and so, you know, we're not going to stop trying to judge whether you got it absolutely right before you do it. If, you, if you've got a community you want to be part of, if you want to start a community, or you find a community, just get involved in a community, because it's better that you're involved with people who love Jesus, trying desperately to live out the kingdom of God, than not. That's what we want to do. 
communities, coverage. We, 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 we recognize that this, this, this city needs a full-on expression of community that loves Jesus in every neighborhood. Isn't that true? Wouldn't it be wonderful if, if for every thousand head of population there was a community? of people who love Jesus and were loving that group of people, whether it was a geographical group or a, 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 a particular people group or a, a particular need in, in our society. Wouldn't that, that's what we want to do. We want to provide coverage. So we want to make it possible for different areas to have communities, and we might do some intervention there to make that possible. Just very quickly, we want there to be consistency in what we do. I'll, I'll pause here just for a moment. I want every single time that you show up here on a Sunday and every time you bring a friend that doesn't know Jesus because that's the thing by the way that's what we're supposed to do every time you show up here and every time you bring a friend for you to be confident about what's going to happen in this space and that's one of the reasons why we're going to change one of the things that we do which is missional community Sunday so when you show up here on a Sunday, every Sunday, unless it's Christmas or Easter or we're all on holiday somewhere, you will get the same thing. You'll be able to come. That doesn't mean missional communities won't have missional community Sundays, but it means you can, as a missional community, as a community, you just get to choose what Sunday you want to go and do your thing, which means there will always be a, ga- a large gathering of people here. There will always be children's provision. There will always be the things that there are. So that's what we want to do. We also want to say that, um, that on the first Sunday of the month, we want no communities to be out so that we can all gather together. And that's a priority for us. So consistency. Connections. You, you, I guess you'll already have seen that, that we are developing our welcome strategy. And the idea is this, that the moment somebody sets foot on this premises, they should be greeted and loved and made to feel welcome. The moment they walk into this room, it shouldn't be a weird place where no one speaks to them or they have to work out what the strange language is that everyone's using. They should be greeted. The moment they start walking out, they should be made to feel that there's something else they can be part of as well. And there are connections and pipelines and you can join a community or you can come to Alpha. We've got to get better at that. So we recognize all those things and we're working on all those things. There's one thing I want to ask of you. And that's contribution. I tell you why. Because we know from the survey that we did, which was really helpful, I think, for us, we know one thing that's very clear. That those people in this community who feel like their family are those people who have invested themselves. On every occasion when we looked at the statistics, what we realized was that people that didn't feel like family, didn't feel like it was family, were people who hadn't found themselves in a community and who weren't serving around the church on, on Sundays. And so what I'm going to say is that we want to, contrib- we want to significantly invest in communication, in communities, in coverage, in consistency, and in connections. Five things. But what we're asking in return is contribution. So we're saying, could, would, you, would you try and find a community or start a community? Not because... I can tick a statistic and go, oh, you're part, everyone's part of a community, but because I know that you will get the best experience of following Jesus in this place of being family and loving the city if you find yourself in community. Will, will you come around when we gather these kind of things? And you do. Will you contribute financially? Because we, you know, we're not asking you for money so we can make things really nice around here. We're asking for money so we can do the stuff of loving the city.
Will you contribute? So we want to make it easy to be part of family. Second thing, really important thing, probably the most important thing, we want to love the city well. Let me just talk for a few minutes about the health of our city. I've been looking at some um, mental health statistics in Scotland, and I think, I think this is something that God is calling us to. So humor me just for a moment. One, one in three people in our nation are affected by a mental health problem every year. One in three. The most common illnesses are depression and anxiety. One in three GP appointments relates to a mental health problem. One in three. About one in eight Scots take an antidepressant tablet every day. That's 12% are taking an antidepressant tablet. 79% of people, I know these are statistics, but they are people. 79% of people with severe and enduring mental health problems are not in work and are struggling to find work or don't want to be in work. And the interesting thing is that statistic hasn't shifted in decades. That's exactly as it was 30 or 40 years ago. Even more shockingly for me, these statistics, one in five households in Edinburgh live on incomes below the poverty threshold set by the UK government. One in five. That is a level of poverty higher than the national average and higher than most other local authorities in Scotland. Which is, I mean... Which is staggering, isn't it? Because mostly the narrative is Edinburgh is relatively wealthy, isn't it? But actually we are on those levels doing worse than many other local authorities in Scotland. There is, there is an incredible need in our city for help with health, with vitality, with shalom, with well-being. Let me give you some statistics about our current care services. We run CAP, which is brilliant. It's one of the greatest things that we do. It's amazing. In the last 12 months in CAP, we've had six people go debt-free. Yeah, there you go. And, and uh, that, that, that's over £40,000 worth of debt been paid off um, in, in the last 12 months. In the last 12 months, we've had 12 first-time commitments to Jesus through the CAP ministry. We have four part-time debt coaches, each taking on approximately one new client a month, but the waiting list for the CAP service is is often between one and two months before you can even get an an interview. Our job club has run two sessions with a total of seven clients getting new jobs, and our job club gets referred from from all the secular agencies to come to our our job club. It's an amazing thing. Our counselling service is also incredible. We have 11 counsellors who work in this building. Um, every month they, see, they have about 80 client hours. And over a year, that's 1,000 hours. 1,000 hours of counselling happens into this building. But once again, the counselling service has often has over two months of a waiting list of, of people who are waiting to see somebody professional. Our life care ministry, we have 14 trained life carers, have ongoing meetings with 27 clients and hundreds of contact hours. Tolk Cross Food Bank Centre has fed between April and October 2017 over 800 people who are needy and need food. Now, that is, isn't that all brilliant? Three of you think it's brilliant. Well done. It's, it's amazing that we do all those things. But it really isn't putting a huge dent 
in some of those statistics. We've still got a way to go if we really want to say we are playing our part, really playing our part, with the resources that we have to love this city with one of its greatest needs. So here's our suggestion. We want to start a one-stop care ministry for the city, a transformation center with a triage service. In other words, we want to take all those ministries that we've got and we want to join them all up together and we want to find other people who are doing similar things and join them up together because what we've recognized is this, that most people who come and need the services of CAP also need one or two other services. A lot of the people who come and need counseling also need some other things that are going on in in their life. A lot of the people who go to food bank could well do with this and the other thing. And actually, we need a holistic program to help people, uh, to to, to help people. And do you know how difficult it is? If you're struggling with depression, to ask one person for help. Imagine plucking up the courage to go and see one of our services and then having to pluck up the courage to go and see another of our services and then having to pluck up the courage to go, do you know, I need this as well. What what if they only had to talk to one person and then we could actually send them out with some emotional help, with some physical help, with some debt planning help and everything else that people need within our city. Could we become a real blessing and a real love for the city. What about our cap clients, Junction 42, Job Club? What about if we were not just giving people advice in a job club, but we also had job opportunities? What if we weren't just giving people handouts, but we could give them life skills as well to help people? So here's a really ridiculous thought, and it's a wild thought, and I shouldn't have it, and I certainly shouldn't articulate it tonight, but I had it, so here goes. I find myself thinking something that will get me in trouble. I find myself thinking, what if we stopped agonizing about the corner shop that we own and how we could develop it and how much money it was going to cost us? I find myself wondering, what if we stopped thinking about when the Methodist Church were going to offer the lease of another shop and then they do it and then we were too late and then someone like Sainsbury's buys it and, you know... What, what if, rather than living in that vagary, we offered to buy all the shops underneath this building? And, oh, I mean, it's stupid, we haven't got that kind of resources and finances are tight. And what if we did that? And what if we could keep some of the tenants on? And what if we could open a care center with counseling rooms and listening suites and training rooms and food bank and clothes store and a coffee shop with opportunity to employ people as well and places people would come and talk. And you had a transformation center. And what if that was a street access to the rest of everything that we did? And so we stopped being the hidden church that was two floors up and no one was quite sure what we did. And what if we became known as the church that loved the city? Because we began to put a little dent in one of the greatest needs of our city. And we probably can't do that. And we probably can't afford it. And we probably shouldn't even dream. But what if we did? (laughs) What if we did? What if we, what if we, what if, what if we did? And what if we live for the health of the city? And there may be other ways to do it. But we want to love Edinburgh well. Let me talk about the salvation of the city really quickly. 
if, if it's true, and I think it is, that the statistic is somewhere between 95% and 98% of people who have no knowledge of who God is really and don't know God, which is somewhere between 470 and 490,000 people in Edinburgh. What, what, what if we began to think about that not just as an individual responsibility I need to reach my friend? What if, what if we began to think about it corporately and said, well, what does it look like for our gatherings to be spaces where people actually can encounter God? We actually start speaking language that people understand, where we're confident to bring people to hear the gospel because we know that people are lost. What if we, what if we started to say we're not going to any longer just posture ourselves towards believers and leaders of believers? We're going to start asking, how does our language and how does our, how does our worship and how does the encounter moment and how does the teaching of the word really impact 98% of people who have no concept of who God is? But deep in their heart, they know who God is because God placed a God responder mechanism in their heart. What if we began to think differently? And what if we began to posture ourselves differently? And what if we began to change the way we thought around some of that stuff? Let me talk about Alpha. I think as a church we need to become more confident in the good news of Jesus and courageous in sharing it with our friends. Not all of us are evangelists. Not all of us are called to, to have that as our primary gift. But I think we, the, the age is, is important enough and the time is short enough for us to actually begin to think about some of this stuff. Last year, about between 35 and 40 uh, people became followers of Jesus through the ministry of this church, as far as I can work out. Statistics are not 35 to 40, which is great, isn't it? Which is brilliant. But it could be better, couldn't it? I mean, the majority of those came through the student ministry and came through cat ministry which is totally brilliant, and we totally salute that, and we totally support that. But, but, but I find myself thinking we can't just contract out or outsource our evangelism to our students and to our camp ministry. Because we're all called to be witnesses, and we all have friends. And we all have family, and we all have people around us who we know the best possible thing for them is to encounter Jesus, and we're probably the best Jesus they're ever going to meet. So how are we going to equip? How are we going to equip ourselves so that we can actually be more able to share our faith? Mm-hmm. So here's here's another. Maybe it's a silly thought, but um, I, I'd love us to invest in Alpha in a new way. I think I think we've invested in Alpha in the past, but I'd, I have this thought, particularly as just turn around and look at this for a second. What, wouldn't it be amazing if this was our Alpha course? I don't I don't I don't mean you all should do Alpha. Although some of you. <laughs> what I mean is, wouldn't it be amazing if, we, if it wasn't like five or six tables in the middle? It was like, we, I'm sorry, you have to go on the waiting list because we, we can't get everybody. So I've got an idea of how we could do that. What if we began to run Alpha at least once on a Sunday morning? What if, what if we went, do you know what? we're going to posture ourselves and we're going to go after our friends and we're going to ask God to reveal who it is that he's already working in, in their life. And we just did this on Sunday morning. We didn't have rose. We had bacon sandwiches, making this up, croissants and coffee and uh, a talk and some of you brought your friends 
And some of you tried to bring your friends but it didn't work and you served bacon rolls and some of you welcomed people on the door and some of you were table leaders and some of you just prayed in the back and some of you were in the band and some of you, you know. And actually for a week season we said, why don't we just all challenge ourselves to have a go at this and do it together and see if we could do not just 35 but 70 or 135 and see if that would become a snowball effect that we become that kind of church. He says, we are a church for the city. And if we're a church for the city, we're a church for the 98%, aren't we? We're not a church for the, you know, we can't really say we're a church for the city if we're just a church for the 2%. This is what we're going to go after. At the same time, and we haven't got time now, but at the same time, we're not going to dry up on our church planting policy. This coverage involves new plants, and, and we have an ambition to do at least one more plant in the next 12 months and I know it really stretched us and I know we're feeling much smaller because we planted two or three but actually we got we got the best the statistics will tell us that the best organized organizing unit for people new Christians to come to faith is a church plant just is so we're going to do that we're going to go after that as well loving Edinburgh a fresh commitment to personal and corporate evangelism, a renewed commitment to the health of the city, and a refocused commitment to following Jesus. Because this is the thing. This is the thing. A care center, whether it's underneath here or somewhere else that someone gives us, is a genius idea. It's a great idea because we're good at some of that stuff. We have a heart for some of that stuff and the city needs some of that stuff. So we just get it got to do it. Uh, Alpha on Sunday, it's a brilliant idea. I mean, I know it's going to challenge us and some of us are going to go, where are we going to get our teaching and where are we going to do the worship thing? And blah, blah, blah. But actually, this is for that. We've been saying that for years. <laughs> so let's have a go. At that. It's, it's a great idea, but following Jesus is the thing. Everything flows out of that. Following Jesus is the thing, and we will remain totally committed to that. Our rooted daily Bible readings, our weeks of 24-7 prayer. We're also thinking about how we can do a, a monthly prayer, prophetic, and worship night so that the stuff that you might miss on a Sunday when we're doing Alpha, you'll get in another way because we believe in that stuff. We believe in that stuff. So here it is. Alpha for everyone. Care center for everyone. Jesus for everyone. That's what it is. Um, following Jesus, being family, but loving Edinburgh. It's really important that we have that posture. Because most of us, here's the damning thing. Most of us live in a city, come to a city or a town for the purpose of taking from the city or town. And nobody, nobody likes that kind of language, but you came to Edinburgh to get something from Edinburgh. A degree, a job, husband, a wife, some of you are still working on that, a career, a life, I don't know. But God says, I didn't put you here to take, I put you here to give. I didn't put you here to take, I put you here to give. I put you here to place you in the center of my repair job for this city. Jesus doesn't hate the city Jesus wept over the city, went into the city, taught in the city and was crucified outside of a city so that we might become citizens of a city that is to come. God, I love Edinburgh. 
and we've got to learn how to do it. Back to my friend Spurgeon as we, as we close. Spurgeon was known as the Prince of Preachers. He had the biggest church in, in, um, in London in the 1850s and he ended up having to move out of his church and he preached in the Crystal Palace to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. He was one of the kind of rock stars of the age in an age of no entertainment. He was, he was the entertainment. He was a multi-millionaire and gave it all away again and again and again because he used to sell his sermons. 20,000 sermons every week would be sold on the streets of London that, that, that Spurgeon preached. But actually it wasn't his preaching that was the most significant thing about the ministry of Metropolitan Tabernacle. Every week people got saved. But it was what the church that loved the city did. They truly loved the city. So in a, in a time where there was no social security and there was no safety net, they built over a dozen low-income housing residences where people could get on their feet. They built 17 fully funded homes for the elderly because there was no social security and, and, no, and no backup plan. If you didn't have a family to take care of yourself, there wasn't anything else. They built those homes out of their own money, out of their own resources so people could die with dignity. Church, just like this church, just like you, raised their hands and said, we will do whatever it takes to love the city. They built an orphanage where they housed, clothed, and educated 400 orphans. They built a training institution for pastors that still operates today, and I got my degree from there. And I, I, I could go on and on, and they did this because they weren't against the city. They weren't just in the city they weren't angry with the city. They weren't apathetic about the city. They were for the city. And they loved the city. And they began to have an influence on the poor. It's really interesting how it happened. Suddenly the poor of the city loved Jesus because they loved this church. And then they became to, began to have an influence on the rich and then on the aristocracy. And slowly and surely those 5,000 people began to change the culture of London. And they began to see significant political change as well. They changed the city of London to the point where they said that if the Metropolitan Tabernacle closed and gave up, the city would communally grieve. In fact, when Spurgeon died, he had 60,000 people trying to get into his funeral. Not because he was a great preacher, but because of what they did as they loved the city. Loving Edinburgh, being family, following Jesus. Here's, here's my question. If we leave, would they grieve? If we packed up tomorrow, sold this place, it would make a great building for something else. And moved away and did something else. If we, if we left... Would the city grieve? Would the city say we have lost something significant because they added value, because they brought shalom, because they, they were for the health of our city and they changed stuff. They introduced us to Jesus. If we leave, would they grieve? Let's just be quiet for a moment.
tonight you've heard some things that we will do and some things that we almost certainly will do and some things we'd love to do and some other stuff that will be ridiculous to do and we might be called to do but God, um, we are just interested in being your people and doing what you ask us to do. So would we be led by revelation before reason? Help us to catch up quickly with reason. But we want to be led by what you're saying. And we want to be a church for this city, in this city, loving this city, so that one day they would say, If this church left, we would grieve. We ask this in Jesus' name.